So if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. If you're new with us, this is what we do at the Parks Church. We preach through books of the Bible, and you have caught us um, kind of beginning a study here in, in Hebrews. So a great time to, to join us. We'll be in Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Let's read God's Word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, and as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world." For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter his rest, my rest. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Okay. Um, Keep your Bibles open, notebooks open. We're going to walk through this text a little bit differently. in light of last week, and, and, and this has kind of been the ebb and flow in Hebrews, there are times where we will spend a lot of time kind of dissecting, um, going through verse by verse. Um, but in this one, it's essentially re- reiterating what we talked about last week. And I'm, I'm going to hit that again because we saw that, that word up there in verse 1. Look at it. Therefore. Again, when you see that word in there, just like we started last week's passage with therefore, we've got to think back on on what we were talking about. And then I want to see if kind of y'all's exegetical prowess comes out to see exactly what is highlighted in in this verse. And and it's a word that was repeated, so you can be looking at that. But I I don't want to leave anybody behind because of the word therefore. Let's talk about last week. Last week, the writer of Hebrews gave us a history lesson, and a history lesson on a warning, a warning that has resounded through the word of God, a warning that was resounded in what's quoted here from Psalm 95, and it's this. Today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart against it. Do not harden your heart against the voice of the Lord. That was the warning last week. The warning was this. Don't have a hard heart. Don't harden your heart toward the voice of God, toward toward the things that God is saying and doing in your life and in your community. And so we walked through the history lesson that he gave last week here in Hebrews. And he used two uh, scenes or situations. The, The Israelites, where they crossed the Red Sea, right? in Exodus, and then they got to the other side of the Red Sea, had a worship service, celebrated God's salvation, celebrated what he had just done. And then what did they begin to do in Exodus chapter 16? They begin to grumble and complain. This God who provided manna for them miraculously for food, this God who who led them by a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, they began to complain against him. In fact, complaining so much so they go, listen, we were better off being slaves in Egypt than we are here. 
And then he also used another history lesson from Joshua where, where the 12 spies go into the promised land, right? They come out of the wilderness, go into the land of Canaan, this promised land that God had, had, had provided for them. And what happens? They begin to quake in their boots a little bit, 10 of them do, and they come back and they report and they go, listen, that land, it's incredible. It's flowing with milk and it's everything God said, except there are really tall people in that land. That's number 17, Numbers chapter 17. And so then they decide, oh, well, we can't go into that land then. And God says to them, listen, you, this generation, this known as the wilderness generation, will not see the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, because of your faithfulness, you will lead the next generation into that land, the land I've promised you. Do not harden your hearts. And what was the reason that their hearts were hardened? Hebrews told us, unbelief. Disbelief, not trusting in God. And so this morning, as we continue with that thought and hearing that warning, what is it exactly that they missed out on? What is it exactly that this warning coming to us even here in 2021 at the Parks Church, what is it that God is calling us to not harden our hearts so that we don't miss out on what? It's the theme of what I just read. And there's one word. It's repeated nine times, explicitly nine times in the passage we just read. That's not counting the times where it is referred to, rest is referred to as it. So what is it? I just hit my hand. Rest, that's right. What's the theme? Rest. Now we have to understand when God is talking about rest here in the Bible, okay, and particularly in the history lesson, he was talking about kind of twofold, two things, but one primarily. And so Keith, if you would put up the, the chart with the Israelites for me. And so what we have at the very beginning in this history lesson is we have freedom from slavery. For the Israelites, that was Egypt. This is your Old Testament and Exodus. They were freed from Egypt. For us as Christians today, and Hebrews was written to believers, uh, Jewish Christians, they're free from sin and death. When talking about freedom from slavery, it's not like literal slavery. It's talking about freedom from sin and death. And they were heading somewhere, right? Just like we were heading somewhere, the Israelites were heading somewhere. Where were they headed? The promised land. I explained that to you. They were headed to the promised land, Canaan, a new land. For us, we just sang about it. Where are we headed as believers? We just said this isn't our home. We're headed to the new Jerusalem, a new heavens and a new earth because we've been freed from death and sin. That's our promise. That's our future. That's our, that's our future rest, okay? This earthly rest was something promised to the Israelites. But there's this space in between, and it was true for the Israelites and it's true for us. The space in between that rest and where we are today for the Israelites was the wilderness, this 40 years that they were walking, okay? They were going. The space right now is what the Bible calls, I didn't make up these words, this present evil age. The already not yet. In Christ, there has been a way for us to be delivered from our sin and death, to escape death. But how many of you know the world we live in is still one full of tension and ramifications and residual from sin and death? The answer to that is yes. Then, therefore, how do we live in this life full of rest and not restless? That's what Hebrews 4, 1 through 11 is trying to target and pinpoint. Listen, for those of you who are following Jesus, this life and the life to come can be and will be a life full of rest if your heart is not hardened to him. Now, rest. Let's take this idea for a second. When I say that word, um, 
What's, what comes to mind? Maybe jot something down, think about it. Maybe for some of you, when, when you hear the word rest, um, you think of a, of a scene. Maybe you think of something that, that right now eludes you. Um, maybe you think of a fire and snow falling in the background. I, I don't know, a vacation. Um, some of you, the best physical rest you're going to get is right here during this sermon. As, uh, you're already asleep. Whatever it is that came to mind, my suspicion is this, that it's something out there, that it's not a current state. And some of you are even wondering, is rest even possible? This section, and we will key in on three particular verses, is a section about rest for your soul. Real, tangible strengthening, life-giving rest. Something more than all those scenes or physical things, something more than a good night's rest will give you. But I want to ask you a question. Why are we, and by we, I mean Christians, Christ followers, even the Parks Church, why are we so restless? Because even when I said rest, I even saw some of your like, physical postures change, just like, oh. And I want to leave culture alone for a second and talk about our hearts. Because that's where Jesus always goes. He doesn't go to the, the symptoms. He doesn't go to the weeds. He goes to our hearts. The reason we are restless as a people of God just like we saw with the Israelites in the history lesson last week, is we believe that there's always something more. We always desire something more. And so I want to put it like this, that our desires as humans created in the image of God, our desires are infinite. There is never a point in our desires to which they are fully satisfied. There is no end. We live in a constant state of restlessness and pursuit. And Jesus says this, that human desire is infinite because we were made to live with God in his presence and in his world forever. And nothing less than that will ever satisfy that's what the word of God points to. That we as people created Genesis in the image of God, our desire terminates and is only fully satisfied when we're in the presence of God, in his world, living with him forever. And everything else, nothing else will satisfy except that. But we're not there yet, are we? We're in this in-between. Right? We have been saved. We've been, we've been captured by Christ. We've been saved by him but we're still in this in-between. And so our only hope, and this is in Hebrews 4, verse 11, is to be striving to put our desire working, in other words, would be working to put our desire in its proper place. That our ultimate desire as people of God and as a church must be Jesus and everything else must fall in submission to him in service to Jesus, below Jesus, where you ultimately don't need anything else but him to be satisfied. Not marriage, not a relationship, not kids, not success, not health, not wealth, anything like that. Not that those things are intrinsically bad or evil. Some of them are very good. They just won't satisfy. 
And them not satisfying shows the condition of our heart, ones that are restless. St. Augustine, in his book called The Confessions, a very famous quote, he says this. He says, Thou movest us to delight in praising thee, meaning God, for thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. How many of you have heard that quote? Our hearts are restless until they find rest in who? In thee, in the one who creates us. Somebody else we really like around here, a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Here's what he says. He says, desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run to God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction every time. Every time. Did you get that? When we move away from God, when we're separated from God, and that's what sin does, the infinite still remains in our hearts. This longing still remains in our hearts, but that infinite longing can only be met, not by finite things or finite people like you and me. It can only be met in the infinite. The one who's able to supply all our needs. Some of you, those two uh, quotes escaped you. How about this one from the great theologians, Rolling Stones? I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, stones. Yeah. Why? Because our desires are infinite. And when our desires terminate on the finite, anything else other than God, we will continue to be restless. Our natural bent, human instincts, is to aim our desires toward anything and everything except God. And hear me, every generation, the Israelites on, right? Even before, right? Every generation feel like it's solving the last generation's problems. And here's what it does. It hops on a treadmill and it runs, runs faster, right? One generation falls off. We get on it. We go, we know how to do this, right? And maybe we even get on a fancy bike with a, with a screen and with someone yelling at us, right? And I'm nothing against Peloton, all right? I like them, but, right? You get on and get on and you go, oh, we're going to solve this. We're going to fix this. What happens? You just end up the same as the last generation doing a different thing, right? Exhausted, fatigued, full of angst, full of fear and frustration. And so here's what we do. We try new jobs. We try new things, new spouses. We turn to consumerism. We keep ourselves pacified by breakneck speeds in our life just to find out that those are just gasoline on the fire of restlessness in our lives. And I want to challenge you. There's a book of the Bible that speaks specifically to this. The book of Ecclesiastes. A book we have preached through. A book that talks about this innate human nature, that it is one of restlessness. And listen, when that nature collides with a culture, now we're going to get into culture just a bit, a culture that is designed to stoke the fire of restlessness in people, it inevitably leads to where many of you, I think were nodding your heads when I was talking about rest, inevitably leads to spiritual malnourishment and exhaustion every time. Why, if we're honest in this room, talking about the topic of rest, if I did a survey, which I think I'm going to do here at the end, by talking about how many of you feel restless in some area, and I'm not just talking about physical rest or fatigue, and maybe that includes that, 
but you feel restless in your heart and your soul, I bet the majority of our hands would be lifted if we're honest. Dr. A.J. Swoboda, he has this quote from his book actually on resting. He says, our bodies wear ragged, our spirits thirst. We have an inability to simply sit still and be. As we drown ourselves in a 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. Can you relate to that? Mentally, physically, spiritually? Listen, if you can, I've got really good news for you, like gospel good news. Look at your Bible, verse 9. So then, so then, and I can just hear him writing to this storm-tossed little church, these Hebrew Christians. You're tired of tribulations and persecutions? You know the context of Hebrews if you've been with us. Beaten persecuted, struggling, tired, weary. So then, for you, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Did you hear that good news? So then, in your restlessness, in your striving, in your inability to achieve and find satisfaction in anything and everything else, there is hope. There is rest. You see, Jesus, as in all things, puts before us, as his followers, a better way. You see, go back to our, 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 our slide, our, our screen just our, our capture for this series. Jesus is better. That's the banner over the whole book of Hebrews. That Jesus is better than anything you can imagine. Anyone you can imagine. And proof of that is this, that Jesus in our weary state, in our restlessness, in this in-between, this already, not yet, Jesus provides us a way to enter into God's rest. God provides a way for us to tangibly know his rest. And so verse 11 then shows up, right? Look at this. Let us, there's that word again, therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. From the history lesson we went over last week, from the one I started this message with, therefore let us as the people of God do what? Strive, work to obtain. Wait a minute. That's not what it says. Let us strive. Let us work to what? It's, is it? Yeah, it's doing. To enter. To enter that kind of rest. What does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? 
Because some of you are already going, okay, Kyle, tell me, tell me how to do this. Let's go. Let's do this. Pursuing rest is kind of like pursuing joy. Rest, and this is point number one, rest is an outcome. You don't go just get rest, right? You don't just go get joy. Rest is an outcome, a byproduct of being with Jesus, in Jesus, and before Jesus constantly. Some of you need to hear that. This striving and this working, the word there means to engage or focus intently on. God, I want to know the rest that you have, that you want me to enter into. And God's going, you want to know my rest? Here's my rest, Jesus. Jesus should be the ultimate desire in your life above all else. Why? Well, back to Augustine, St. Augustine, he says this, and this was a staff member shared this with me this week. I thought it was very fitting. He says, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are wise and very beautiful, but I have never read in either of them, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All their wisdom and philosophy, there is only one man who said, you want rest? He didn't give you a list of do's and don'ts. He says, you want rest? Here's what I want you to do. Come to me. And in me, you will find rest. This is Matthew 11, for those of you that don't believe me. Verses 28 through 30. Do you have that, Keith? If we don't, they can just look it up on their own. Right? This is the place where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy, who are weighed down, who are weary. And he says, in that coming, you will find rest. And this is, a, this is at the end here in verse 30, where he says, in 29 and 30, he says, my spirit, my yoke, my burden is easy and light. And he goes, and that's what I want to give you. I want to give you rest. Rest is an outcome of being in Jesus and before Jesus constantly. John Mark Comer uh, has written a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in that book, he puts a, a little chart of rest versus restlessness. And as if I needed to prove any more that we're restless, let's take a look at these and see which lane you fall in more often than not. Are you someone in your life who has margin? Or are you more marked by busyness? Slowness or hurry, quiet or noise, deep relationships, isolation. Time alone or crowds, delight or distraction, enjoyment, envy, clarity or confusion, gratitude or greed, contentment, discontentment, trust or anxiety, working from love, working for love. Work as contribution or work as accumulation and accomplishment. I can tell you where I swerve most time. Point number two that we see from Hebrews is that there is an inseparable link in our lives between trust and rest. 
there's an inseparable link between trust and rest. Why did a generation of Israelites not enter the rest of the promised land? Hebrews tells us because they didn't trust God repeatedly and constantly. Do you remember last week? This was the constant posture, the continual place that they were at. This wasn't a one-time deal. This wasn't twice. It literally said they always, always, it was the constant refrain of their lives that they didn't trust God. And here, they didn't trust God in two very distinct areas. They didn't trust God's provision, and they didn't trust God's protection. Remember the, the, the scene in, in Exodus. They didn't trust God's provision in manna. Exodus 16, God told them, listen, you will rest on the seventh day. You, I'm not going to bring down manna. You go gather a double portion on the sixth day. Go get a double portion. And what happens? What do they complain about? God, where's your provision? God, have you not provided for us? And God's like, six days. And I even allowed you on the sixth day to go get a double portion for yourself. That's the condition of the human heart. That's our nature. How how about God's protection when they see the really tall people in the promised land? Those things that terrify them, right? They didn't trust the promises and the constant patterns of the God that they worshiped. They didn't trust his faithfulness over time because he had proven himself time and time again. They had altars, they had places, they had the Red Sea that they could look back at. They had their own lives to look at and to go, listen, God has been faithful God's promises are true. They are yes and amen. His pattern is consistent. He is faithful, 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 yet they still doubted. They still distrusted. Are we any different? I bet if we could do a real hard exam today on all of us, those would be the two main areas of concern. Maybe so much so that those are the things that are creating a restlessness in your heart. Will God provide? Will he bring about a way? Will he bring about this answer? Does he care for me? Will he come through? You see, trusting in God means resting in God. Apart from trusting in God, in Christ, in his work for you, and also through you, you will never rest We enter into God's rest. That's what Hebrews is talking about. He said, enter into God's rest. Not some kind of human manufactured rest. He said, we enter into God's rest through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not just rest for our physical bodies. And to be honest, rest for your physical bodies might be achieved through more sleep and changes some habits. And maybe you need to do that. It may be even able to be accomplished through a prescription from CVS. But that is not what Hebrews and the scriptures are laying out before us. What we need more than anything else in the world is rest for our soul. And only Jesus can bring that because he is the only one who has actually dealt with the reason for our restlessness. You see, we have this infinite gaping hole in our lives that sin created, this separation from God. And it's that separation that causes us to be restless in our searching. We have a sin problem, yes, and we talk about that all the time, but this triggered a separation problem. And until that separation, us between God, is made up, we will be restlessly in pursuit of some way to satisfy the longing of our souls. But hear me, Jesus' way of producing himself in his rest in us does not come to the right-hand side of that chart that I put up there. Jesus' way of producing himself and his rest in us is through abiding, not working harder. 
It's through abiding in him. This is John 15. It's not through ambition. It's not through drive. It's through resting and trusting that he has made a way for you and me. And listen, the more we find ourselves in God's rest, the healthier we will be as disciples. You see, some of you, you're pursuing outcomes as if that's what God has called you to pursue. God hasn't called you to pursue outcomes. Outcomes, let me tell you, outcomes are way out of your pay grade, okay? Mine too, right? We're like, well, I just gotta, I just gotta be more loving. I just gotta be more joyous. I just gotta be more kind. I just gotta be more peaceful. I just gotta be more gentle. No, those are things that the spirit of God alive in you when you rest in Christ, he produces in you. You want more joy, you want more love, you want more peace, here it is. Trust Jesus and rest in him. And here's what happens. It's crazy, guys. He actually produces it. He actually does it. Those are not things that we can manufacture. But what I'm afraid of, and honestly, my life exemplifies this, um, this kind of theology is, is that I believe God is most glorified when we're most exhausted. Because we've got something to show for it. I've just been laying it out there. Listen, Jesus is not most glorified by worn out, exhausted, busy disciples. The world, culture, they can find that amongst themselves. What if, just, just maybe go there, what if, what Hebrews is talking about here, what if the church became the best place in the world to learn about rest, true rest. This is an exhausting world. And listen, I'm not talking about just enough rest to get through the day, but talking about the kind of rest that Jesus promises in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, you want life and life to the full? It's not in me, because that's what he wants to give you. Not just sufficient amounts of rest, overwhelming amounts of rest, where the angst and anxiety and the turmoil of our souls are overthrown by the rest of Christ. And what Hebrews is also saying here in this passage is this, and the Israelites were guilty of this, because they knew about the rest God had provided. They knew. They knew the Big Ten Commandments, right? They knew about the rest. Here's what Hebrews is saying to us. It's one thing to know about the rest Jesus has for you. It's a whole other thing to obey and experience the rest he has for you. The warning is don't be like the Israelites with their hardened hearts who had hardened their hearts to the path for enjoyment and rest that God had set before them. So Kyle, if there's a path that God sets before us for rest, what is that path? Verses nine and 10 again. So then, there is a Sabbath rest. Sabbath. I am so thankful we serve a God that doesn't just talk about rest, rest, rest in me, rest in me, but we serve a God who actually gives us the rails that our lives can run on to know his rest. Aren't you? But he's not just like, hey, just kind of figure it out. He goes, no, I've, I've given you the rails. And those rails, a big, a big component to these rails is the word Sabbath, and we see it here in our text. That word literally, Shabbat. You know what that word means? Stop. Stop. And so I want to spend just our next little bit of time 
talking about a Sabbath. I've already alluded that it is one of the Ten Commandments, right? That you are to keep the Sabbath. How are you doing? Some of you are like, I don't even know what I'm breaking, but I'm breaking it, I know, right? (laughs) The Sabbath is this, and I'll put it behind me as well. Sabbath is an intentional day set aside each week where we practice trusting God as our provider and sustainer. You remember where distrust came from and disobedience for the Israelites? They didn't trust God as their provider and their protector. Sabbath is a way in which we as believers practice trusting God as our provider and our sustainer. A day of rest and worship. You see, Sabbath is more than just taking a day off. Sabbath is about a spirit of restfulness that comes as a result of living in God's presence all week long. So if I could say this, Sabbath is a culmination of living a week in God's rest. It's a culmination. Because here's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to tell us that we're not doing enough for God. Or not enough big things. Not enough important things. In Sabbath keeping, we are trusting. We're trusting that our ordinary lives are enough. And reminding our hearts that God is not looking for superstars and superheroes for him. That when we obey him, when we listen to him, when we trust him, that's what pleases him. One writer says this, that Sabbath dethrones humanity from itself a grandized place of lordship over creation. We, that's where we live so often. By handing authority of the world back to the one to whom it already belongs. Remember Genesis chapter one? Who does all authority begin to belong to? Him, he who created. Do you remember Hebrews chapter one? That's what the reminder was. Listen, for some of you, you don't Sabbath because you're actually too lazy. Some of you, you you, you criticize Sabbath, you criticize, we criticize taking a day off, right? In in the presence of God, resting and worshiping before God and going, well, there's just too much to do. There's this, there's that. But the reality is you're actually too lazy to take a Sabbath. You actually don't have the discipline to do the hard work of shutting off and shutting down the day for worship and exaltation of God specifically. Sabbath is the practice of restfulness. We will not be a restful people apart from Sabbath. And Sabbath, hear me, is more than a day, but it's definitely not less. The call to Sabbath is not just a call to the prohibition of work. The call of Sabbath from Hebrews and all the other places in Scripture is a call to grace. It's a call to experience the fullness of God by trusting in him wholly and fully with your lives. And it's amazing how God would build this into the fabric of our lives, his disciples. It's amazing how our God, the God who loves us and cares for us, would build in a day where he goes, listen, I want there to be a day where you just, you just shut off and you rest and worship me. And he knows our restlessness. He formed us. He shaped us. He knows our souls better than we do. And so he goes, listen, this is part of my plan. Okay, so how do I Sabbath? What does that look like? If you're in Praxis groups with us, uh, September of 2020, 
We actually talked about this. Your groups talked about Sabbath. You practiced them together. You, you made swings. And listen, this is not legalism, by the way. This is not a rule, list of rules of do's and don'ts, but this is a way that we can posture and position ourselves as a community to wade into the waters of entering into God's rest the way he calls us to enter his rest through Christ by practicing Sabbath. Back to Dr. Swoboda, he says this. He says, godly rest particularly in a 24-7 world, is never accidental and can only come when we have gone out of our way to prepare for it. Like, you're not just going to slip into Sabbath and be like, whoa, hey, cool, a day of rest and worship. I think that's how some of you think or operate. This is intentional. It's purposeful. It's setting this time aside and sacred for what it is. It's hearing these things, listen, not as legalism and rules and do's and don'ts, but it's taking them for what they are, wisdom. Practice historical wisdom to go, listen, Lord, I want to enter into your rest. I need it. My restless soul needs this. I need it. And so here is maybe our help to you and to us. And the first is this, that you would mark out that 24-hour period of time in space that you are going to have to intentionally sit down with your family, your spouse, your, your roommates, your, your gospel community, whoever it is, your calendar, and go, I'm going to mark out this time to this time because here's what I know. If you're just gonna kind of play it fluid, the enemy will creep in and he will distract you every time. Mark out that time, this hour to this hour for rest and worship. And something that has been historically helpful, and we see it in the pages of Scripture as well, is that time frame begins. There's a clear beginning with a celebration of some sort, or maybe a prayer or, or a blessing. Maybe it's, it's a meal. Maybe it's worship in, in, in time like, like this, that there's a clear beginning. This is what we're going to do on our Sabbath. This is what we're going to do on, on, on our, rate to, our, our pause to enter into rest and worship before the Lord. Maybe it's reading a psalm. And then you spend that entire day in rest and worship. Now, you're going to have to go through the journey of figuring out the difference between recreation and things that are restorative things that restore, that, that, that build you up. This is not just, just, just time for you to catch up on this or that. This is time for you to be in the presence, the life-giving, refreshing presence of God. Alone, with other people, with your family, doing things that distinctly fan the flame of Christ's love toward you in your life, that remind you of his provision and his grace and his mercy in your life. Right, so, 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 so here are some things that um, have been done. Lighting candles, blessing children, or praying over your kids, eating a meal. Like what we did last in, in practice in feasting, that there's a feast in your Sabbath day. Singing, right? Even if you're like me, tone deaf. Worshiping with your community. What is taking place here? And for many of you, Sunday is going to be your Sabbath day, so this is part of worshiping with your community. Taking walks, taking naps. How many Sunday naps? Praise God, right? Part of Sabbath and rest. Enjoying God, reading, spending time alone with God, spending time with family and friends, spending time in gratitude and thankfulness in spite of your circumstance. These are components that, that make a healthy Sabbath. And listen to me, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. There are no to-do's on the Sabbath. 
or oughts and shoulds. And here's where I want to end. There's rest. There is rest for your weary soul. Rest in Christ. Many of you, you've experienced the rest that comes in the salvation of Christ. That you have put your faith and your trust in him and he has saved you and he's redeemed you. He's moved you from what the Bible says is the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Others of you, that's exactly what the Lord is working on today. He's calling you, he's drawing you into that salvation rest. That rest where that future hope of him and that separation that has been made up only in Christ, he's calling you to experience that by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. And I would echo the warning from this passage in last week, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts to it. Respond. Jesus is beckoning you. It's his grace and his mercy that's drawing you to himself where you will find ultimate rest. Peace, the thing you've been searching for that you know is, 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 has been escaping you and all those endeavors and all those pursuits you've been part of. Today is a day of rest and salvation. Now, believers, today is a day of rest. That Jesus here, what he extends to you is from Matthew 11. Come to me. Come to me today, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are restless, all of you who have been on that treadmill trying, 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 but are exhausted and fatigued. And many of you, you're scared to admit it because you're afraid that you'll look weak. Well, if I admit that I'm, I'm weary, I'm restless, what's the church going to think about? What's my gospel community? I lead a praxis group. I'm in a formation group, 52 weeks. I mean, seriously. And here's why I want to do a little bit of a group encouragement. How many of you, in one place or the other in your life, right now, find yourself just in a weary, restless space? Can you raise your hand? Yeah, they already have. Okay. Here's the, here's the good news. You are weak. I am weak. But here's what I know. When we go, I'm weak, Lord. I can't. That's where his word comes in. He says, in your weakness, my power is It's made known in your weakness and going, Lord, I am tired. I'm spent for whatever reason. I'm in this place where I, I just feel like, Lord, my wheels are spinning. I'm running and running and, and I'm not headed anywhere, Lord. I need you. It's in that space and place he meets you. And he's gonna meet us this morning. He's gonna meet you this morning. Those of you who just in honesty raise your hand and those of you who are too scared to raise your hand, he's gonna meet you this morning in this place and in this space. He's gonna give you by his grace, his rest, right? Not an earthly rest, not a human rest. It says it's God's rest. Enter into his rest. I don't want the rest of this world. 
It's a lie. I want God's rest. Yes, my hope and my eternity is secure in Christ. But in this in-between, my soul grows fatigued and weary and restless. But there is a rest available to us right now. A rest Jesus is calling us into. And so I want us just to bow our heads. I don't want to preach about this and not practice it. I want you, if you're in that place, I want you just to begin to confess your need for Christ. And there may be something specific that is really weighing on you, that you're really wrestling with. Jesus is saying, bring it to me. I want you to confess your need for him. That we're so guilty. I'm so guilty of not stopping. I'm so guilty of distrusting. Spirit, only you can do this work. It's not a sermon that changes us. It's the spirit of the living God. It's the word of God. It's the person of Jesus offering us a better way. Not the way of the world and the way of exhaustion. of trust and resting. Your heart is my 
this week, beginning with us today, that we would be a people who live and work from a restfulness in your son, Jesus. God, that we would be a people who trust you enough, God, to surrender our whole lives, our Sabbath, our moments, our working, our doing, our whole lives to you. And God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to fill us up with your grace and with your mercy, with your rest. God, make the people of the Parks Church a people unlike the exhausted, busy, restless waters we swim in day after day. Make us a people are rest filled because we are with and before Jesus constantly. So I pray that you would go before us this week, reminding us, helping us to be intentional and purposeful in this response for your glory. In Jesus name I pray. Amen and amen.